we are working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And to come up on another fairly famous passage, Jesus is going to give the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But I mentioned this last time. You've got to understand the importance of understanding the context because that changes the meaning. We do this all the time. When I say context, okay, what's the situation? Who's speaking? That changes how we interpret what they're saying, right? I mean, I had a perfect example of that in my own life, but we forget to do that with God's Word. So if I were to say the phrase to you today, right, deep pockets, we all know what that means. I'd say, dang, that guy's got deep pockets. We all know that means that guy's rich, he's loaded, he's got rubber band banks in his pocket. Like, we all know what that means. But what if I told you the context and how much that can change? So somebody said that to me this week, dang, you got deep pockets. And some of you are concerned, like, how much are we praying this guy? What if I told you the context is, I just put on my swim trunks and I walked to see my daughter, and my daughter's the one that looked at me and goes, dang, Dad, you have deep pockets. Like, I don't have any pockets on my swimsuit. You have deep pockets. In that case, all of us intuitively know she's not saying I'm wealthy. She's saying I have deep pockets. Context is going to change how we interpret things, and we do that intuitively. So let's do that with God's Word. We just kind of read this parable, but if you remember, we got to dip into last week, who is Jesus talking to? What is the audience? It is the Pharisees, this super religious, super moral religious group. But what did it say, if you remember from last week, they were lovers of money. This very religious group that loved money, and that's the context of which you see the rich man and Lazarus, and it's helpful to connect those two. So we're going to dive in. If you know anything about it, it's about the afterlife. So this morning, we're going to talk about money, and we're going to talk about hell. Why are churches growing? I have no idea. I don't get it, but I'm just going to read and do my best to dive into what it says. Follow along. We're in Luke 16, picking up in verse 19. I'm going to read. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So I kind of stop in the middle of it. There's kind of three parts to this parable that Jesus tells. There's kind of their life on earth, their existence after death, and then the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man and Abraham are going to have a conversation that we're going to get to in a minute. Let's kind of dive into this story. You see, these two main characters, this rich man and Lazarus, their lives could not be more different. If you look at kind of what it said about each, they couldn't be socioeconomically any further from each other. This man was dressed in purple and fine linen, feasted sumptuously every day. Again, you think of the context, that culture, we miss it. I'm sure somebody in here is wearing purple, and we don't think twice about it. For them, purple was reserved only, you know, primarily for royalty. For them to get purple dye in that culture was from a small snail. You just couldn't get your hands on purple dye and purple garments. It was extremely luxurious. That's the picture here. So when he dressed in fine linen, like for me, I'm like, dang, is he shopping like Target? Are we talking Old Navy? Like way above that. Like 
this, the picture here is more like Gucci, Louis Vuitton, like that's the level here. When he has a fine linen, we're not talking like 300 thread count, we're like a thousand, all right? This guy feasted sumptuously. This guy goes to Red Lobster, not on his birthday, but just on a Wednesday. Like, he don't care. He's just eating sumptuous. And I know for some of you, that's not like way up here, but them cheddar biscuits are fire. And you know I'm, you know I'm honest. They're so good. And that's the thing. I mean, he, here's the picture. I mean, it's like we view celebrities. This guy's wealthy. He's a CEO. I mean, he has, Lazarus sat at his gate. I mean, this guy has a mansion. He has so many, so, he's a social media influencer. And this guy is at every great restaurant and all the greatest parties. He's living the good life in contrast to Lazarus. So where he's dressed in fine linen, Lazarus is dressed with sores. Where he feasted sumptuously, I mean, this guy's eating surf and turf every night. Lazarus is just hoping to catch one of them cheddar biscuits in the trash the next day. They couldn't be more opposite. I mean, this guy, you get the picture, he's probably homeless, sleeping at his gate, and it's said he's sitting there with dogs licking the sores on his body. I've often wondered for people, you know, you watch people go down a bad road, and you wonder where rock bottom is. If you wake up in a ditch and dogs are licking your sores, I think you found it. Like, this is rock bottom. And for us, even we miss some of that. We don't have these in our culture. This isn't like a cute golden retriever named Comet. These are street dogs. If you've ever traveled internationally, there's just kind of street dogs running around. It kind of reminded me, I was talking to a pastor in India. He was talking to another guy who's homeless in Mumbai, and he was sleeping on the street and woke up because a mosquito was just kind of laying into his foot, which he thought to wake up and only find out a rat was chewing on his toe. <laughs> and so to hear that, ooh, that makes the point. That's what Jesus is trying to convey. This guy has a rough life. And compared to the luxurious life of the rich man. But then the next scene. Death. No respecter of income of people. Hits both of them. And their lives could not reverse more extremely. Their fates could not change more. The rich man who lived with all these earthly pleasures is now in the torment of hell. And Lazarus, this poor man who had all these earthly pains, is now experiencing the comforts of heaven. For all you visual learners, I mean, I put together a little graph. I mean, this is the picture of the journey that they walked. I mean, you see quality of life, kind of that y-axis over time. The rich man couldn't be any higher that this world has to offer. Lazarus couldn't be any lower until death comes. And their journeys perfectly invert. The rich man in torment and Lazarus in the comforts of heaven. And you see the little arrows at the end. You've got to remember, this scale goes on forever. So that's where they find themselves. And now the rich man in hell now goes on to have a conversation with Abraham. Lazarus is carried off to Abraham's side. And let's pick it up again. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Which is a very weird request. Next time your kids are like, I'm hot, I want you to dip your hand in water and just give them your hand. I don't know why, that's a weird request for me. But for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, in your lifetime you received your good things. 
and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great, great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if you do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So you see this conversation. He makes two requests of Abraham. Can you soothe my comfort? Can you kind of ease my suffering? And he says, that's impossible. Well, then could you at least go and warn my family, warn my brothers so they don't end up here? And he says, that's not as beneficial as you think. So that's when he kind of lays out here in this parable. And understand, this is a parable. This isn't a true story. Jesus tells this story to make a point. And again, that's important because that's how you interpret a parable. You don't want to pick at every single kind of detail and run it to the nth degree. It's making a couple major points that we need to understand. There's a couple truths in here that I think are so clearly being conveyed by Christ. In particular, there's two truths that he addresses and then one lie that he corrects. So we're going two truths and a lie this morning. I'm sure many of you probably played that game at a party, icebreaker, right? Two truths and a lie. You kind of say a couple statements and everybody's got to guess, hey, which one's the lie? And you're trying to say something real enough or close enough to the truth to get people to believe it. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Just to warm you up, we'll do truth, two truths and a lie with my life, all right? So these are three statements. You've got to figure out about my life which one is the lie, all right? When I was skydiving, the backup chute needed pulled. I have eaten lamb's brain. I have had a piece of art displayed in an art museum. All right, everybody's got to vote one to try to find the lie. Who thinks I'm lying about skydiving? Hands down. Who thinks I'm lying about lamb's brain? Hands down. Who thinks I'm lying about the art? Y'all are haters. I got skills, people. I'm talented. Dang. It was the same in the first service. I'm like, no, no, no. All right. Two truths and a lie. I was lying about skydiving. The story about art is actually, it was an accident, but it's a true story. I've had art displayed in an art museum. I didn't mean to, but anyway. Story for another time. Here's the deal. So you got that, right? What am I trying to do? And we try to say something that sounds close enough to the truth to get you to believe a lie. And I think culture does that to us a ton, and this scripture addresses that perfectly. You know, here's the deal. We all kind of laugh. Oh, he's not good at art. He's not talented. Oh, that's funny. When we talk about heaven and hell, this isn't a game. Like, this isn't just a silly game that we play. You need to be able to understand and look at and determine what is truth and what does culture tell us that sounds like truth and gets us to believe a lie. Here's where we're walking through this morning as we look at two truths and a lie. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Many will be surprised who ends up where. With more proof, people would repent. 
Now, since this isn't a game and this is important, I'll tell you the last one's the lie. But yet, culture throws it at us and it sounds good enough and we want to believe it enough, but it is of dire, of eternal consequence for us to understand the truths about the afterlife. So let's just kind of walk through those together. Heaven is real, hell is real. Now again, in a parable, we don't need to push all the details. So even the whole fire thing. I don't know that fire needs to be literal. I think the fire can be metaphorical, but the torment is literal. So we got to dive into this, that Jesus clearly believes that heaven is real, that hell is real. Jesus clearly believes after you die, you're going to one of these two places. And it's the clear teaching of Christ. There's two options. See, our bodies carry on. Did you catch it? I mean, when they die, when we think of die, we think of ceasing to exist. Oh, they're no longer with us. That's not biblically what death means. Death means separation. What happens when we die? Our souls carry on as our souls separate from our body. You will carry on for an eternity. The question is where? There's only two options according to Christ. The comforts of heaven, the torments of hell. And God, I don't like teaching this. I don't even like the idea of hell. And that's one of the things we got to get over. Oh, I don't like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. But your desire for something has no bearing on whether it's true. Right before I walked in this room, the last conversation I had is with friends of ours and realizing they have cancer. Now, they can wish they didn't and not like that fact, but it has no bearing on the truth of whether that is reality. You can wish you were rich. That doesn't make you wealthy. So we have to get past just, okay, what I like and what I want to believe and move towards what is true. And according to Christ, there's no way around it. Heaven is real. Hell is real. It will go on forever. And you notice the other major point, that there's a finality to it. Remember the great chasm that stands between. There is no, once you've made your decision and you stand before God, I mean, there's no second guessing, oh, no, it turns out I would rather worship you than end up here. Even this is wonderful storytelling because you see that, you know, what was in between the rich man and Lazarus on earth? It was a gate. What does that gate become? It becomes a chasm. And I think that's true of us. To give your life to Christ, to truly believe that Jesus is the only way, to believe in heaven and hell, that is difficult. I don't like thinking about that. I don't like believing it. But, yes, like that gate, there are barriers. There's hurdles that we got to overcome. But one day, that's going to be a chasm. Think of that graph. You know, that dotted line is coming for everybody. Good friends of ours are finding that out, that they have the dreaded cancer. Look, you're going to die. Are you prepared for that moment? Think of all the stuff that you worried about this week. All the stuff that got it, you got anxiety about. You know, am I, you're going to prepare and study for this test. You're going to prepare for this job interview, this presentation at work. All those things that you have anxiety about. All come before that dotted line, all of them temporary. It's amazing how often when I talk to people and then talk about that moment, are they prepared for the moment at death when they're going to stand before God 
well, I don't really know how that's going to go. That's crazy. You prepare for all these temporary things, but then when it comes to preparing for determining your eternity, I don't really know how it's going to go. I just hope it goes well for me. No offense, that's idiotic. Don't you love how you could say no offense and then say something offensive? Well, I said no offense, right? No offense. That's idiotic. I mean, think about it. All the things that you stress about. Temporary. And then when it comes to something of eternal significance, I don't know, I hope it goes well. I kind of I feel like it's going to go that way. One of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard in my life, most impactful to me, I was in college. The guy stood up and just said this. And he repeated it. Heaven is real. Hell is real. How are you going to live your life? Heaven is real. Hell is real. These are the two options. Are you living your life in light of that eternity? Are you living your life in light of this true? Or do we just kind of get trapped behind, I don't really like it, I don't want to believe it, so I hope it's not true, even though it doesn't make it not true. A clear teaching, a truth of Christ is the, these are real. Heaven is real, hell is real. Let's look at the second truth. Many will be surprised who ends up where. Like part of the way Jesus tells the story is he kind of wants to shock us, right? I mean, this rich guy, even just kind of eye test, this rich guy, what do we call all rich people? Oh, they're blessed, so blessed. So this rich man who's blessed by God, this poor person who seems cursed by God, and they are shocked Let's dive into this. What do we know about the rich man? We know he's wealthy. Looks like he's blessed by God, right? We know, what does he call Abraham when he cries out to him? Do you remember? Father Abraham. So we know, I mean, this is the assumption. This guy's Jewish. He is religious. He's got some religion in his life. What great sin do we know that this guy committed? Nothing. He didn't make the guy poor. He didn't kick the guy who's poor. Yeah, he wasn't compassionate on him, but he didn't have any great kind of moral failures. So here's a guy, religious, he's wealthy, seems blessed by God, no major issues, no major sins, and he loves his family, right? What is his major concern? Hey, go back and tell my brothers. So here's a religious guy, well off, loves his family, didn't do anything bad, has some religion. Can we just call this rich guy, the rich man, an American? Tell me that's not all of us. Tell me that's not what all of us are striving for. But what do we also know? Remember the context. What did Abraham say to him? You had, you received your good things. You lived for yourself. We know that this guy albeit moral, a little bit religious, didn't really serve God. Remember the context, the verses from last week. You either need to serve money or serve God. You can't do both. So some of you, and again, almost everybody, most culture in our culture would probably already say these were lies. Because what does culture say? I try to be a good person, get a little religion in my life, don't commit any of the major big sins. And everybody's shocked. This guy ends up in Hades. You better have a better hope to just think, oh, I'm a good guy and I'm trying to be a good person. Because what is revealed in the end? This doesn't just tell us that there is a heaven and hell. It gives us insight into who ends up there. 
And Lazarus, in the end, the context, the Pharisees were far more religious than you and far more moral than you, and very religious moral people will end up in the torments of hell. Because in the end, they didn't serve God. That's the question. Who are you really living for? I don't care that, yeah, you come to church sometimes. Can you sit here and say you're living for Christ? That that is your hope. You're not living to get a bigger house. You're not living just for comforts like this rich man. The point of your life, can you look at me and say, no, what I'm living for is God. I serve him, not money. Many of us in our culture, let alone this room, are in danger of hearing, I don't care that you went to church. You received your good things. Your whole life was for your own pleasure. You didn't serve me. What do we know about Lazarus? Interestingly enough, like we don't know that much. He's silent throughout the whole story. One of the most fascinating things that I like about this parable. What is the one thing that Lazarus has that the rich man doesn't? If you catch it in the story, I mean, all these things, the one thing that the Lazarus has that the rich man doesn't is a name. You hear that in the story? You notice that? The rich man, who we don't know, and Lazarus. You know what Lazarus means? And here's good Bible trivia. So Jesus tells parables all the time. Who's the only character with a name? Lazarus. So that should ping for you. Jesus is telling us something here because he never does this. You always notice there's a Levite, there's a farmer, there's a... But then here we have Lazarus. And I think there's a lot we can glean from that. Because go back to that graph where that dotted line of death. How many of us are living to make a name for ourselves here? We're striving to be this guy. We're striving to be a big deal so people can follow us on our social media platform, so we can have a lot of money, so we can do a lot of things. So a lot of people trying to make a name for themselves here are going to be anonymous from here on out to eternity. We're all trying to be a somebody here and not worried about being a nobody there. But yet, the opposite of Lazarus. He's a nobody in this world. He's poor. Nobody cares about him, but yet he is Lazarus, and he is the guest of honor in the feast that will run throughout all time. Are you striving to make a name for yourself and being a big deal here? Are you trying to worry about, do you have a name there? And that's when we start to see the difference of, and we're surprised who ends up where, and it's not just about trying to be a good person and get enough religion. Lazarus. God is my help. Lazarus isn't necessarily a better person. I'm not even saying he's more moral. The difference is the rich man is living for himself, and Lazarus is living for God. The rich man put his hope in his money, and Lazarus had all his hope in God. God is my helper. That's the issue that you need to think through. Look, heaven and hell are real. Do you live like that's true? And the big difference is, are you living for this world? Who's your God? Is it your own comfort? Is it money? Would it, can you look me in the eye and tell me what you're really living for? And if that answer isn't Christ, you might be in danger of hearing that. Hey, you've, you used your good things and you received your reward on this earth. 
You never served me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Those are two true things. Can you see those and spot those is true, but can you also spot kind of the big lie that I think many of us are tempted to believe? Kind of the last thing. With more proof, people would repent. That was the big thing, right? Go back to my brothers. That's the, that's the rich man's request. Go back to my brothers, because if somebody would come back from the dead, then they would believe. I mean, do you just feel the irony of that statement? You know, Jesus, come back from the dead. And it's just oozing with irony. It is dripping. For those of you that are into that weird Dr. Pimple show, it's just pussing with irony. If you like that show, don't admit that. That is so gross. I, I'm not going to judge you if you watch it, but just don't admit it to anybody. You see that, even if someone rises from the dead, because why? We're all tempted to believe this. Oh, why do people end up in hell? Why didn't have enough proof? If I just knew, we believe that. We think that, oh, when you get to heaven and hell, then you realize, oh, no, that they're really, this is true. Now I'll repent. That's a lie. All of us are tempted to believe this. It's not fair to send, that God would send people to hell. I didn't have enough proof. I didn't have enough evidence. How could I really believe that Jesus is the only way? You're believing a lie. Straight from Scripture, he clarifies that. You know why? You're making a massive assumption that the problem is just here. The problem that people, you think people go to hell because they just don't have enough knowledge? That they just weren't lucky enough to hear about Jesus? That's not the issue. The issue isn't a knowledge issue. The issue is here. He says, go back to them and prove to them, and then they'll repent. Your issue isn't more knowledge. Your issue is that you love yourself more than God. You care about your money and your own pleasure more than caring for the poor. That's not a knowledge issue. And if you're tempted to believe that, you're hiding behind that. That's a lie. One of my favorite stories of sharing, you know, Christ with somebody. So I was, my neighbor, we were both, my, my neighbor, my roommate in college, we were both from Pittsburgh, and he was Jewish. Don't get all nervous. We went, Why, why's he got to be Jewish? He really was Jewish, and it pertains to the story, so chill out. So we're driving back, and we're talking about this. I had this parable live out in my life. So we're talking about it. I'm talking about the realities of heaven and hell. And he was believing this lie. I'm like, Andy, why won't, you know, hell is forever. How can you not prepare for that? I mean, he was a musician. He would prepare hard for one concert. I'm like, you're not going to prepare for eternity. And he hid behind that lie. He said, there's not enough proof. There's no way to know. And then he said this to me. I'll never forget it. He said, if somebody would die and come back from the dead, then I'd believe. To which I said, glory, hallelujah. One had come, my man. Like, believe. And then he, since he was Jewish, he didn't know, like, the story of Jesus' resurrection. It's like, Oh, is that, is that what you believe? Oh, oh, cool, cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. And here's the story. Don't we have that? Did you know in the Gospels, a, a different man, a, a literal man named Lazarus rises from the dead. Do people come to Christ? No, they try to kill him. Because in the end, it's not more proof. Most people believe in a heaven and hell, but you don't want to surrender and submit to God. Stop hiding behind this lie that that's your issue. You need more evidence. He says what you need is God's word. 
You need God to convict you. You need God to free you from your enslavement to yourself. Hell is a difficult thing. It's a hard thing to wrap our heads around, but it helps me when I see a fuller picture of hell. Did you notice that the rich man is unrepentant? Part of the reason hell feels unfair, it's there's good people down there that they wish they would have repented, but they didn't have enough knowledge, and so they didn't. That's not the picture of hell. It's not God just kicking people down. Ha <laughs> ha, you never knew Jesus. Get down in the flames. That's not the picture. How did he refer to him? What do you call him? He said child. Son. God isn't just angrily casting you down there. Hell is God honoring your rejection of him. It is you wanting, you really think that you're going to live for yourself and your own pleasure now, and when it comes time to worship God forever, like, no, no, I'll, I'll worship you forever. Did you notice the rich man is unrepentant? What he didn't say is, this is unfair, I don't deserve to be here. He's still just as selfish. The torments of hell, that word torment, has this idea of it's also revealing. And it doesn't show that, oh, he was a good man, and if he would have had more proof, then he would have repented. He's still just as selfish in using God, using people. Did you notice the rich man still bothered, you know, still trying to boss around Lazarus? So one, he knew who Lazarus was and turned a blind eye. He says, you send him to relieve my suffering. Now, I don't think there's trash talk in heaven, but if there was, now's the time. I mean, if I'm Lazarus, and you got to weed out my selfishness here, I'm projecting it. He's still trying to boss around Lazarus and command Lazarus to come and serve him, the exact thing he wouldn't do for Lazarus. If I'm Lazarus, I'm like, bro, scoreboard. Like, I'm up here, you're down there. Do you really think you're better than me? And what does that show? Even in hell, people are unrepentant. Hell isn't full of people shaking their fist at God. This is unfair. You didn't give me enough proof. It's full of people that did not want to serve God. The issue is worship. It's your heart. If you don't want to serve him now, you're not going to want to serve him in heaven. What is hell? It's just a natural consequence of a bunch of people finding when they remove God's grace, just living for themselves. So in this passage, for some it's a great comfort, but for sure there is a warning here. I've heard it said this way, for some of you, this life on earth, this is the closest to hell that you'll ever be. And that's a comfort as he is carried away to the comforts of heaven. So all the pain that you're going through, if God truly is your help, if you are living for Christ, do you know that, that all your pains, that your line's going to shoot up when you get carried into heaven? Feel the comfort of that this morning. This 90 years, even is full of torture, will result in comfort. But some of you need to hear the warning. For some of you, this is the closest to heaven that you'll ever be. You should hear the warning. And here's the deal. So many of you were raised in churches where they're just fire and brimstone, just trying to scare you about hell. Scaring people about hell doesn't keep you from it. Again, it doesn't fix the problem. So that's why I don't sit up here and just try to scare you of, oh, you're going to burn and it's going to be horrible. Because that's not what you need. You don't need to be feared out of hell. You need to be freed from your own selfishness. That's the issue. 
Is God your help? Have you thrown yourself at his mercy? And I want to warn you. You need to live in light of this reality, but it's true. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Are you living your life like that's true? And you're going to be surprised if you just think trying to avoid the big sins and getting a little religion, but still living for yourself and serving money and not God, you're going to be shocked and not in a good way. But for those of you in pain, you'll experience the comforts of heaven. But let's be honest this morning. Let's not hide behind the lie that you just need more proof. You need freed from your self-worship. I hate it. One of the things to say, oh, it's unfair of God, and I think we've addressed it, but they say, God is unloving. We can call God a bunch of things not unloving. Jesus stormed into hell to free you from your own selfishness. One person could object to hell being unfair, and that's Christ, because he went there on your behalf. And I'm not saying all of a sudden that you need to give enough people and that all rich people are going to end up in hell. I'm saying, if you get to that point where you know you're living for yourself and you want to be freed from that, if you throw yourself at Christ, if you cry out, God, you are my help, he will free you. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I do just ask that you would speak God, that we would listen to you as our source, not as culture, not even what we desire. God, would you give us the courage this morning to hear truth? That God, would your spirit empower us to live in light of that? To not be so caught up in making a name for ourselves in this world, but to be worried about the one to come as well. That we would serve you and not money and our own pleasure, that we would love you and that would pour out the love for the poor and love for each other. But God, we can't do that on our own, but we would cry out, like Lazarus, that God is my help. We do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.